Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is WTS 270. What's the story podcast? 270 of these big, long episodes. But then once upon a time, we used to do little short episodes, and you can check them out on WTSpod.com, or you can get them on your Spotify and your iTunes and all those places. I'm doing the plug at the start this week, because apparently that's what professionals do. So that even if somebody switches off after two minutes, we've already got our plug in. Wow, good on you. Know, look at I was going to say, what's he doing the outro and the intro for? Oh, yeah, listen, I'm mixing it up a bit. Anyway, my name yeah. is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. Mero, how are you this week? Good, how are you? Uh, yeah, doing great, man. Loving life. I'm 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 perplexed by the social commentary in re- relation to First Lady Sabina Higgins's call for peace talks in the Ukraine invasion. I'm absolutely perplexed that it's how many days now since her letter appeared in the Irish Times? <laughs> it appeared on the Friday. We're recording this on the Wednesday, and by the time people are listening to this. She might have written a second letter for all we know. But oh, uh, for like, God's sake, like, the, get over yourselves. I, I just, people are mad. They're mad. Like, well, like, like you said that. today to me privately, I mean, people are giving out about her call for peace mm-hmm. talks, but there was peace talks. There has been peace talks. There's peace yeah. talks in, 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 a, in, a, in a secret area in, on the Belarusian uh Ukrainian border back in yeah. there was like four or five or six or seven attempts of peace talks yeah. uh, with, with Ukrainian negotiators and, and Russian negotiation negotiators. Zelensky requested a, a sit down with Putin and this all happened in Mar- February, March, April. And now all of a sudden uh, a longtime anti-war activist has called for peace talks and it's people Danny, I do think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm off the mark. I'm looking forward to this one. There's a misogynist tone to this. There's misogynist language in regards to who does she think she is? Why is she writing a letter on the president's website? She has had a section on the president's website since 2014. Seven, eight years later, all of a sudden, people are up in arms because she has a section on her husband's website. so calls for, I, I, I want to, yeah, right, okay. The, the misogynist thing is definitely prevalent in this. And I want to say it's absolutely a shit show, right? So Sabine Higgins is her own woman, right? Why are people going to Michael D to be essentially, and I, I, I mean, what they're basically saying is control your woman. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that is, it's 2022, lads. Can we all just pump the brakes here? Rather you agree with the woman, rather you disagree with the woman. You don't ignore her and turn to her husband and say, what's the story with your wand there? Can you not have a word? Because that's effectively what they're calling for, right? This notion of Michael D needs, I saw your man from Young Fianna Gael tweeting his, Michael D's position as president is no longer tenable. Would you look in the mirror, grab yourself by the ghoulies and just cop yourself on, please. You, what are you talking about? Your crowd have been, Fianna Gael have been up to all sorts over the years, saying mad shit, doing mad shit. And yet this, you're like... The leader leaked confidential contracts. Yeah, look, this is... TV competitor. There is nothing, there is nothing that isn't about political points scoring, right? Did Sabina Higgins make a mistake by writing a letter? I don't know. Personally speaking, I couldn't care if she wrote a letter to the Irish Times, if she wrote a letter to fucking a pen pal in France talking about our summer vacation couldn't give a toss all she said was peace will be negotiated it needs to be negotiated and that's a reality anyone who's sitting here saying no the only solution is for russia to completely withdraw turn their troops around go home and apologize that's not how these things work that's what we'd all love to see exactly we don't look don't be wrong hang on we'd all love we would all love to see russia step back and go we've been arseholes, very sorry. Here's billions of rubles in compensation. We're very, very sorry. We'll never do this again. And here's all the land that we've annexed back, including Crimea. Yeah, obviously that's what the world would like to happen. But the reality of this is the only way it's going to end and the only way that it's going to stop is negotiate at a table. The same way most wars fucking end. Because nobody's going to settle for the Russians completely overrunning Ukraine, taking over Kiev and killing Zelensky. That's going to escalate into a global situation. Nobody wants that. How do you de-escalate it? You get to a table and you talk. And no matter how wrong the other side is, 
you find a common ground, you get to the finish line of this, and you worry about the rest later. But while people are dying and hospitals are being bombed, what good is it to sit there and too proudly shove your nose up at the idea of peace talks, which is all the woman called for as far as I know? Well, like, I mean, how would you read her letter and assume then that she's pro-Russian? Like, like people are suggesting that, oh, because she's called for peace talks, she's not acknowledging, uh, she's not acknowledging that Russia is the aggressor. And, uh, but but people are saying everybody knows Russia's the aggressor. We're beyond that. That's not up for debate. Like, that's what I mean. And and people are, people are looking at the, at the letter and they're kind of, they're kind of creating stuff that isn't there. They're reading into it that stuff that isn't there. And I've, it's just, I, yeah. I can't believe we're still, I know we're talking about it, but. I've seen a lot believe. of people, I've seen a lot of people reference the fact that uh, the Russian ambassador came out and like applauded the letter. And I'm like, so what? Just, just because he's committed that, that instantly, oh, somebody in Russia thinks it's a good letter. Therefore, it's a bad letter. That's not how things yeah. work, lads. Come on. Well, can we all just be a little bit fucking mature and growing up here? Sabine Higgins and Michael D. Higgins have never, ever been on the side of any war or any conflict. They've never. That's not who they are. So, nor have they ever been on the side of the oppressor or the aggressor in any situation like that. In fact, you'd go so far as to say they're a bit too hippie for their own good at times. Yeah. Right? I, but 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 this is just... All this is is just mad centrists and mad right-leaning lulas looking but to I, target them. And it's just fucking ridiculous. Like. It's ridiculous. And I think um, I saw a tweet, Claire O'Connor, um, host of the Week at Work podcast, mm. and she articulated pretty much what I was thinking. Um, she was saying uh, she's seen a lot of people angry at peace talk suggestions. I think there are plenty of valid issues people can take uh, with it, but I don't agree that Sabina suggested they were mutually responsible. I think she was voicing what she sees as the only way to stop the war. And of course, people can disagree or think it's naive or was poorly thought out for not including an acknowledgement of how we get here. But I think a fair amount of the responses are coming from a place of bad faith and trying to score political points. Exactly, yeah, political points scoring, which we said there a couple minutes ago as well. Like that's that's what I think. I, I totally agree, and that articulates it a lot better than we do. But to, the, to all yeah. the people saying that Sabine Higgins is wrong and how dare she and everything else, what what are you looking for? The war to escalate? Is it? Are you the same fella that wants to send our, 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 like Irish, you know, defense forces and make them, the European army? Yeah, you know. So like, what what's your alternative solution? Or are you just happy chirping in from the sidelines? And asking yeah. Michael D to control his woman. Cop yourself on that. For Adgar and Calvary dying, strung out for a European army. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. A oh, man, I was in grey form. You're after upsetting me now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But, sorry. But uh, anyway, who, who have we got this week, Danny? I don't know, Meryl. You tell me. I'm very upset. We have <laughs> we have historical <laughs> entertainer and musician, Paddy Cullivan. Lovely. Meryl, <laughs> take us away. Joining us now is uh, it's a it's a great job title that I didn't know existed, but uh, historical entertainer Paddy Cullivan. How are you, Paddy? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Amazing. Historical entertainer. Yeah, it's a weird one. I suppose um, I started doing these history shows in 2016, not being an opportunist and realizing it was the centenary of, of the rising. <laughs> but um I started off with a show called The Ten Dark Secrets of, of the Irish Revolution because it was ever since I was in school, I was interested in those bits of history we didn't know about. You know, like, um, you know, women under 30 weren't allowed to vote in the treaty election of 1922. And it's, it's a big scandal that no one knows about. Like 400,000 women didn't get to vote on the treaty. So they might have voted against it. In fact, they were way more Republican than uh, men were. But because most women were 23 at the time who were in the Republican movement, they didn't get to vote. So the whole thing was a bit of a shady deal. That was one of the dark secrets. But then the other dark secret was Michael Collins, his death, which is a really, you know, one inexplicable thing up there with the JFK assassination and all the rest of it. And so I, I started doing these shows. But of course, I had done comedy for a long time. I'd written for Oliver Callan and um, I'd done stand up. Um, I'm also a musician, so I kind of put everything together into one show. So about 300 images, photographs or cartoons, uh, songs. I wrote original songs. 
uh, for it. Um, the bell and the blah one has been stuck in my head for the best part of a week since Meryl yeah. told me you were coming on. I said, "Oh, go check out some of the stuff," and that you know, yeah, being humming that bell. Yeah, blah, so so blah, I yeah. so over over COVID, I took the Michael Collins just that one segment of that show and just did an entire show about the murder, what I call the murder of Michael Collins, and one song in that is called "Bell and the Blah Blah Blah," because and it's done in a kind of a Beach Boys style, but the but the reason or kind of Beach Boys, kind of Billy Joel, two of my favourites, you know. But the reason I call it Bell and Blah, Blah, Blah is because everything around that assassination or murder or ambush or whatever anyone calls it is a mystery. Um, mm. there's, you know, there was no inquest into his death after Bell and Blah. There was no inquiry. Um, his autopsy disappeared. He's got no death cert. We don't even have a cause of death or a death cert for Michael Collins, who was the most powerful man in Ireland at the time, commander in chief of the army, minister of finance, president of the provisional republic, and would have been the first Taoiseach or the first president of the free state. None of that stuff. There's no ballistic or forensic evidence from Bell and the Blah. Nothing. There's no bullets. Not a single bullet was ever found. We don't have his rifle that he was meant to be firing. The hat in the museum is about two sizes too small for his head, and someone tore a hole in the top of it uh, to look like a gunshot, even though he was shot in the base of the skull. Um, so everything, even the car he was in, ended up in Africa a month after Bell and the Blah. It disappeared. So that whole... I never, I never knew that. Yeah, the whole thing is a complete mystery. And that's why I've done the whole show about that. And the more I looked into it, the more mysterious things became and the more the whole show became about lack of evidence. But then, you know, I call it historical entertainment because, you know, you know, I dress up as Collins, but there's a lot of humor in it too. There's a lot of bizarre humor, even though it's a terribly sad story and I love Collins. Um, there's a lot of humor because the papers came out with the most ridiculous stuff. He had four last words that he was meant to have said on the roadside in Bell and the Blah. You know, forgive them. Uh, bury me in Glasnevin with the boys um, all sorts of other lines which is impossible because he died in a tenth of a second the kind of wound that Collins had we're told he would have been dead instantly so where, yeah. how did he keep talking it's like an episode of The Walking Dead you know where you chop the zombie's head off and he keeps talking or mouthing like it's bizarre stuff and the newspapers were incredibly hilarious and, and everything there was a lot of stuff that was mad I mean and so it's a mad roller coaster of a story. If you go to the show, you come out of it there going, I, I never knew, first of all, I never knew any of this. And B, why the hell didn't I know about it? And why is this such a mysterious thing? Like we have loads of evidence for JFK, but we've nothing for Collins. You know? It's, it's, it's mad. And even some of the stuff you're saying there, like I didn't know the Caribbean in Africa. I didn't mm. know about that. You know, I didn't, the, the hat as well. I, I'd heard the thing with the hat before, but I completely forgot about it. You know, yeah. and it's just, all these little things, and it's true. And even to this day, like obviously, look, Mike, Michael Collins did. You know, you don't have to study Irish history to know the name Michael Collins. Mm. So he is that figure that everybody knows, and the name is instantly recognizable. So with this show that you're doing, I'm mm. instantly intrigued because one, history needs a bit of crack. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, it, it it can be a bit, you know, doom and gloom. We can all be a bit morbid and that kind of thing, but it needs a bit of crack about it, like. Mm. So something like this is appealing to me straight away. Yeah, uh, you have to throw in a few funny lines. I mean, you know, the, you know, I opened the show with Michael Collins was born in 1890. His father was 75 years old when he was born. So yeah. there's hope for all of us, lads. There's hope for all. <laughs> he was the and seventh then, son of a seventh son, wasn't he? Something just, like that. But but his dad, like. his dad was actually so old that he remembered the famine. He was in his 30s during the famine and that he joined the Fenians and the IRB after that. His dad was so old is Michael Collins' grandfather, that he fought in the only engagement in 1798 in Cork in the Battle of the Big Cross in Clannacilty. So he was a United Irishman. So this idea that Fine Gael are pushing, you know, or will push, you're going to need a bucket beside you for most of this year, lads, as Fine Gael pushed their version of Michael Collins, which is kind of retired neoliberal banker uh, who would have lived in Burnaby and thought that HAP was a great idea and that, that, that there is no housing crisis, you know? Um, <laughs> Collins, Collins was a Republican through and through, and he would have had a... <laughs> he'd have half of these guys in irons, lads. I'll be honest with you, he was not a patient person, and he was very much a Republican, and almost very much what we would call a Fabian socialist, which is, you know, it's a rich man's socialism, but it's still about fairness. You know, and Collins was all about that. And this, this image that's projected, like, First of all, he wasn't in Fine Gael. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called Fine Gael from Collins to Varadkar, brought out by Stephen Collins a couple of years ago. Now, Collins was dead 10 years before Fine Gael was formed. Collins was dead eight months before Cumann Gael was formed. Collins lived and died a member of Sinn Féin, and that's the end of it. And, you know, it's, it's just... The, the, 
the reason I do these history shows, I think the reason in 2016, Dermot Ferreter came out with a great phrase. He's talked about there's a lot of ahistorical bullshit out there. And in Ireland, there's a lot of ahistorical bullshit. I, you know, we kind of make up a lot of stuff. We make up a lot of myths. There's a huge amount of myths about Collins or about our history in general. And I, I, I bring it out in the show. I call it the three rules of Irish history. The first rule is, I knew a fella who knew a fella. Basically, and we have everything we know about Collins or Bale the Blah or the proof that it was Sonny O'Neill, let's say, comes from the words of a guy who wasn't even there, whose glasses are so thick, it looks like an ad for should have gone to Specsavers via I had too many Guinness. Like, it looks <laughs> like Mr. Magoo. Like, like it, there's no way he saw what happened at Bale the Blah, especially since he wasn't there. Yeah. And that's where the farcical element of it comes in. And in Ireland, we tell ourselves these lies and tell ourselves these things. I call it the Italian 90s vacation of Irish history, right? So if we look very practically at Italian 90, the greatest moment in Irish history since the Book of Kells, right? It was the only time we were happy in about <laughs> 1,500 years. And then the Vikings came and ruined everything, right? So Italian 90, if you look at it just in terms of stats, you know, we kind of got three draws against very inferior teams, right? Then we got a penalty shootout by the seat of our arse against Romania because of Packy Bonner. And then we lost. And then we were kicked out of the World Cup. Now, we could say that is how Italian 90 went, but here's how I interpret it as a historical entertainer. It was the greatest moment in Irish history. And to this day, I still believe we won the World Cup in <laughs> 1990, right? We won it. Now, even if we didn't win the damn thing, we felt like we did, right? But unfortunately, when we take that approach to Irish history, then we produced a, to a total travesty and a total fantasy about what our history is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we, we do a lot of that because we don't have evidence or we, we failed at a revolution, so we had to say that it worked, that, that it was a noble and brilliant thing and very brave, right? Because let's be honest, Irish history, with Barr Collins, we failed at almost every single thing. He was the first guy that actually got something back. And even heroes of mine like Wolf Tone, they failed miserably. You know, I do another show on him called The Murder Wolf Tone, by the way, that's coming out in November. And that's more like the Epstein uh, thing. That's more like the Epstein murder, you know? Oh, sorry, suicide. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so you know what I mean? So, okay, I know sometimes I might veer into the realms of what sounds like conspiracy theory, but actually when you dig deep enough, you find out there's a reason why it, it's so odd. And a lot of stuff when Colin's death was covered up. The Free State burnt a heap of documents in 1932 between before Finnet Fall came into power because they were scared De Valera would have them all shot because if, if they found out what was really going on during the Civil War, you know, it's a very dark period of time. And I'm, that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to unravel the layers and get people the truth because if mm -hmm. not, they're going to be reading absolute rubbish all summer long, especially leading up to the anniversary this August 22nd. Well, well, the funny thing is, and I would implore people who are listening to this to follow you on Twitter, because mm. a lot of the entertaining stuff that I get, and you're not even meant to be entertaining in your dialogue <laughs> and your exchanges on Twitter, but you are pulling people up in their inaccuracies of their reporting of Collins or yeah. did, uh, am I right in saying you engaged in when President Higgins didn't go to the partition mass? Um, I think I said it's up to him to do whatever he wants. Um, yeah, but there was people trying to re rewrite certain things of history and in an argument for him to actually attend. And I think you were kind of putting them in their place. Sorry, my message is follow Paddy on Twitter because... Yeah. On the lead up, as you said, to Michael Collins' death, there will be attempts of revisionist history. And uh, I get great entertainment for watching you engage. I sometimes seek you out to go into your tweets and replies to see, has Paddy said that? And has Paddy said that? And, and well, that I, get like, I get into desperate fights. I know. I mean, I put up. Oh, it's brilliant. I know. But then it, sometimes you get the really heavy, hardcore people coming at you. And you're just like, I just delete the thing. Then I just go forget about it. I don't want to engage anymore. You know, because it's like, um, you know, when the when the when the commemorative wall was vandalized in, in Glasnevin, okay, I know there's a bunch of people who think that that commemorative wall is great, but they were still going to put the names up of all the black and tans on that wall as well. Mm -hmm. And I just don't believe there's a parity of victimhood or oppressor. There's oppressor and oppressed, and they can go build their own wall if they want. Do you know what I mean? Somewhere, but you don't put everybody together. I've always thought that was a bad idea. 
I mean, for instance, if you put all the people that died in Vietnam during the Vietnam War and you put that on the same wall as the 55,000 American soldiers that died in Vietnam, that's roughly two million people. That wall would go as far as South Dakota. So you just can't do it. Um, And, you know, we have to be kind of... Another thing about here, as you say, about revisionism, there's a kind of a shame here. Like, we're we're all meant to feel terrible about what happened back then. But it it was a revolution like any other. Um, I I would go so far as to say that even even in the North, uh, what happened was appalling and that people were driven to extremes. And, you know, it should never have happened. But there were a lot of circumstances as to why the North erupted in the 70s as well. Not least because Collins didn't get involved, or Collins was planning to invade the North, would you believe, in late 1922. And I think that's one of the reasons he was taken out. He had an army of 50,000. He was ready to go. He was even saying as late as July that we now have a force that means something in our dealings with Britain and the Northeast. And I think that because the British couldn't trust Collins, you know, he looks on paper like a great Democrat and a constitutionalist, but he, he, he is the epitomization of, he's really Martin McGuinness. He's really the ballot box on one hand and the armalade in the other. And that's mm. an untrustworthy character for the British establishment. Yeah, and, and, the, and, the Irish, and the Irish establishment, by the way, a bunch of lads who just got their first ministerial pensions and goes, no way I'm going back to war. I'm happy with this 26 <laughs> county state. This yeah. is great. Quid's in. Yeah, but and as well as that about the revision of because revisionism, um, you're you're obviously mentioned the Italian 90 there, mm. and in a lot of uh, RTE productions, um, about you know historical events, whether it be real in the years or mm. or whatever, there is this proclamation that. We 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 took back the tricolor after Italian ninety. Um, I hear that. Yeah, yeah. What, what what like? I mean, from who? Just, yeah, like, from who? Like, well, look, there's a lot of things. I mean, I find this funny. You know, um, you know what happened in the seventies and the eighties was awful, but there's a reason for it, and people have to look for the reasons for it, and not just like I like really in the years. I know the guy who made it; he's brilliant. But I mean, I used to, jo- I have a joke in my Wolf Tone show saying, you know, you know, um, uh, you know, re- reeling in the years is basically the Eurovision results, the GAA results and the IRA results. And basically, <laughs> um, you know, we were all meant to feel like it's even strange when Bloody Sunday happens in reeling in the years. It's saying, you know, 13 people die. But then later on, there's Bloody Friday and they say uh, the IRA unleash new carnage on whatever. And you're there going, that's different language. Yeah, yeah, and it matters. Language matters. Language matters. And also the tricolor, you know, a lot of people say, Leo Vracker would say about the IRA, you know, not in my name. But a lot of things happen in Ireland not in my name. For instance, I very much support Sabina Higgins' call for peace and for negotiation. Yeah. The Russian war is a very odd one. You know, if it was a real war of attrition, let's say, uh, Kiev would already be taken over and Zelensky would be dead. So there's something else going on. It's a territorial war. It's about taking that bit of territory along the edge, right? Um, they should be in a negotiations within weeks, and for some reason they're not. And a lot of people are going, um, a lot of senators in Finnefall and Finnegale are saying, oh, uh, how dare she do that? The president should consider his position in all of this. You cannot use the president. And I'm there going, no, I want my president to be able to say anything that they want. I mean, they're elected. Um, this kind of wholehearted support of Ukraine uh, by Ireland is strange to me. Um, it's terrible what happened. I don't support Putin or Russia at all. But a lot of things are done in my name. I did. I never asked for, for Micheál Martin to support Ukraine. I never asked for um, social housing to be given over to a thing called HAP, where uh, landlords are basically paid to house people so the government doesn't have to build houses. A lot of things are done not in my name. You know, so, I, I, you know, a lot of people never ask for America to bring their planes to Shannon on the way to Iraq. Um, and those voices are equally valid. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you're right about it. When Michael D decided not to go to the partition event, he kind of knew what type of event it was. It was an event that was kind of celebrating partition. And it's not the job of the Irish president with an aspiration to uniting Ireland to celebrate partition. Partition was a, was a tragedy. Um, and... I mean, I laugh. Unionists uh, are, are renowned for being kind of stuck in the mud, but actually they were offered nine counties in 1922 and they took six. And the reason they took six was there'd be more of them, there'd be 66% Protestant, 33% Catholic, and they thought they controlled that. And so they abandoned all the Protestants in Donegal, Cavan, and um, Monaghan, which numbered about 90,000 people, all to be practical for their six-county state. 
So Union Ist are amenable to change. You know, they went from being anti-home rule to ruling their own little state. So, you know, the, the, all these things are very, very strange and all these things need to be kind of properly understood by people. And that's why I suppose I am an, I'm an annoying sore arse correcting people on Twitter. <laughs> no, it's not annoying. It's brilliant. Good. And it's, it's, it's your point now, hypocrisy as well at the same time, buddy, because oh. even... Even like when you talk about the Ukraine war and even something as silly as, you know, um, Dundalk Football Club and Celtic Football Club have been banned in recent years of having the Palestinian flag fly within mm. within the crowd. Mm. Whereas within the crowd in most English Premier League games, some international games, some jerseys, the Ukrainian flag, you know, uh, was shown in solidarity. Yeah. Um, there's hypocrisy there, you know. You, you can't, how can you find two football clubs for showing solidarity with yeah. a, a country who has been oppressed and then do it for another country who's been invaded? Do you know? I it's know. just hypocrisy. Well, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm kind of different. I, I'm a Sinn Féiner, obviously. Um, and I would disagree, though, with Sinn Féin on certain things. And, and I'm not saying that the Palestine-Israel crisis isn't this long-running, awful thing. But... Um, I'm very much, I'm a Wolf Tone Republican, so I love Wolf Tone. And he's the first guy to write that Ireland should be neutral, that Ireland shouldn't have to fight other people's wars. Because all we ever were uh, was a food basket for Britain and we supplied troops for Britain. That's what we did. And, you know, let's say a third of the troops at Waterloo were Irish. You know, 50,000 Irishmen died in World War One. You know, roughly about 4,000 died in the entire revolution. So if you're in the IRA, you'd have one in 11 ch chance of dying uh, compared to someone in the British Army at the Somme. You know, so, you know, I, I just think with Ireland shouldn't get involved in international conflicts spe specifically, but, you know, they were talking about, Simon Connolly was talking about buying 19 jets there. Did you hear, remember that? We're going to buy 19 jets. Now, I have friends in the Air Corps. I have, I, you know, I'm a big supporter of the Defence Forces and all of that. But essentially, Ireland has always had to fight defensive wars. That's where they mm. call the defense forces. We're not exactly going to go on the offensive, are we? You know, so I think, you know, getting this involved in, in conflicts and picking sides, our job is to be a go-between, is to be a liaison for peace. Do you know what I mean? That's really what Ireland's job is. Mm. You know, yeah. we've, had an, we've had enough of imperial wars. We, we, we were involved in them for a thousand years. I agree. Yeah. And and I, think I, was in, um, I was in Sarajevo there in June and we were out in a restaurant having food. And the waiter uh, was aware that we were Irish and he complimented uh, the Irish peacekeepers for building bridges down the road in Sarajevo that he's still friends with, with the peacekeeping mission missioners that, that fixed the bridge. And he was pleading, you know, keep your neutrality. I just, I, I thought that was a surreal moment. I didn't for a million years, you know, it's like someone putting it up and putting that anecdote up on Twitter and then someone following up saying this never happened. Do you know what I mean? I was kind of going, Jesus, that is, and that's a great compliment to have that, you know, you're, you're acknowledging the building of a, a re, the restructuring of a bridge to help the locals. And, you know, mm. he, he was pleading with, please make sure your people keep like that. Mm. I mean, you've seen on Twitter as well, the amount of hawkish Irish people who are very, very anti-Russian and they're going like, we should be sending troops, like we should be part of a European army. And my answer is like, you first guys. And whose kids are going to, like whose kids are going to go? Like, it's not any of these 50 year old fellas on couches um, uh, yeah. read the Irish Times who are going to end up fighting in the Russian steps. It's their kids and nieces and nephews. Um, and it won't be rich ones, it'll be poor ones, you know. And the, the hypocrisy is huge. Another big secret of, of 1916 was, or 1918 was a conscription crisis where they eventually brought conscription in, in 1918. And up to that point, the media and the church and everybody was totally pro sending troops over to the trenches in World War I. And all of a sudden, there's this massive anti-conscription movement. Why? Because the mayor's son and the bishop's nephew will get called up. The rich boys will all have to go as well, right? And all of a sudden, they're signing anti-conscription pledges. All of a sudden, there's a national movement to stop people doing it. And, and this is what I'm saying about the hypocrisy now. Who exactly is going to go and fight in Russia? Because no one has ever got on well fighting in Russia. And that includes my hero, Napoleon, right? And my definitely not hero, Hitler, right? He, both of them tried to invade Russia and came a cropper, right? Because you can get the first thousand miles all right. But how do you do the, the other 5,000? 
How do you survive the winter as well? Is the, well, yeah. How yeah. do you survive the winter? And just, it, it, it's also, it's, it's not that, you know, Russia is beyond contempt or beyond uh, reproach, but they're to be handled with a, with a different, like, like what the Beersard thing is that like, there's still gas exports and everything. That's all going on. You know, Germany can't survive without Russian gas. So why, why bother getting involved in wars? Why not just have a negotiated settlement, have a negotiated peace, do whatever, you know? The problem with Ukraine is it's a little bit like, it's like a bunch of Northern Ireland, Ireland's really, you know, you'll have Russian majorities in those regions and then mm. Ukrainian, but, but then again, where, where there is a van, you know, there's poles in Ukraine, there's all, it's a, it's a very diverse country, you know, but I just think in situations like that, and especially look at Palestine, Israel, you know, I'd say, but my, the funny thing is most of my lefty friends would say they need a two state solution. I said, yeah, but that's called partition, you know, you're anti-partition here, but you're pro-partition in Israel-Palestine. I think what needs to happen in Israel-Palestine is a bit what, like, what needs to happen here is we have to have a brand new country. Mm. You know, we're not going to call it um, anything other than Ireland, I suppose. But I think we will have a different flag. Speaking of the tricolor, you know, um, the tricolor itself is kind of a divisive flag. You know, it, it says orange, green, or orange, white and green. And you're like, or green, white and orange. And they're going... You're naming two communities here. Well, Ireland's now a bunch of different communities. There's loads of different types of people in Ireland. And in fact, I would probably go back if we had a united Ireland to the the, the flags of the provinces, the four provinces. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because you get a red hand on that, and you get a harp on it, and you get a bunch of other symbols, and that'll keep everybody happy. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. if it's possible. We'd, we'd probably have to have a new capital in Athlone because how would you get how would you get the unionists to agree to come to Dublin? Yeah. And how would you get Dubliners to Greystones. agree? Greystones would be the capital. No, Greystones will never be the capital of anything, um, even when I got the Dart extension. Uh, I grew up in Greystones for about five years and a uh, lovely, lovely town. I loved it. Couldn't wait to get out. <laughs> <laughs> it's being taken over now by vegans and Protestants anyway, so do you know what I mean? You... I, I was being taken over by Catholics when I moved there. Points, you know, it was, it was a very Protestant town when I moved there and then they started building the, the Catholic housing estates up in the hill. Uh, but now I believe it's been taken over by those twins, the, the those chefs. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. what their name is again. What is their names? Jedward. The, uh, the grown-up Jedward. The happy they're happy. They're happy. The happy ha- whatever. Yeah. At least they're happy. You know At I mean? least they're happy. There's enough misery I, in the world. I, I watched an episode of that. I don't know if either of you have seen this show on Netflix called Somebody Feed Phil. I know. He, oh, I love it, goes, yeah. He goes around the world, basically. He's, he's a very kind of... He's almost a cartoonish type character. He was, I think he was like a writer or producer on that show. Everybody loves Raymond. So he's he's funny, he's quirky and whatever. But there was an episode of it anyway where he comes to Ireland to eat Irish food and he spends time with a happy pair. Yeah. And uh well, I haven't watched an episode of it since I watched that one. That's how much <laughs> that's that's how much it did. I was like, I I'm done. I can't. I don't for a swim with them. Yeah. I, I like I like simple cooking. Like funny enough, Donald Skeen does a brilliant meatball recipe. You know what I mean? And there are people I like, um, and who just, uh, you know, I, I suppose I'm not into this bish bosh cooking thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on Instagram now, you're getting these bizarre videos where men are making these obscenely fatty bad food items, and we're all that's great. That's men's cooking, and you're going, <laughs> no, 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 that's crap, and you're going to give yourself a heart attack. Yeah, um, yeah, battered Mars bars and the like. Oh. It's all, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, battered Mars and all that kind of stuff. And this, the, you know, I, who is making this rubbish and who is paying them for it? That's all I want to know, really. But um, I, I suppose for for me, uh, you know, what I'm trying to everything I think now has to be about truth, doesn't it? Because we're living in this time of absolute, you know, fake news. It's Donald. It's the Donald said, believe it or not, he actually features in the show a bit because um. The fake news that comes after, after out after Colin's death is, is unbelievable. You know, he was attacked by 200 men. Many men were left dead on the field. He was attacked by six men. And he had 25 bodyguards, right? And all his bodyguards survived, and he did. So it's really suspicious. The whole thing is really suspect. And, and I think, that, you know, it's almost like the wider world of the truth, you know, the wider world of, you know, right and left politics, the wider world of Ukraine, Russia, the wider world of everything. You've got to get to some kernel of truth, but mainly understanding because this kind of endless antagonism between people I'm seeing everywhere now is just ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. just this fight, yeah. this endless fight going on. There's, there's no room for middle ground anymore, is there? It's, it's you're, you're, you're red or you're blue, you're, you're this or you're that. There's no, 
Oh, well, I mean, I can see what you're saying, but I'm kind of meh about it. Like, it's very, it's become such a polarized thing. And Twitter, of all places, is the the cesspit on the, the epicenter of all of that. But it's. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I mean, yes, on Twitter, yes, on Facebook, but definitely not in person. Like, I'm, when I'm out in the real world with human beings, everybody's circumspect. Everybody, yeah. everybody has, you know, a combination of lefty and righty views about certain stuff. You know, I know. Um, a lot of people who'd be very left in their leanings, but they're very hard on crime. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. home invasions and things like that, that's just not acceptable. And, and it kind of, and people are complex and we're made up of different issues and you don't have to be into one issue just because, the, you know, I call it the, the kind of the litany that you're meant to follow. You know, I'm definitely anti-abortion or, or in, I'm, I'm definitely pro-abortion and I'm definitely into gay marriage and I'm definitely into this and definitely into that, you know? Mm. Uh, and, and if you deviate from one of those things at all, uh, you're unwelcome in the group. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah. I, I'm one of those weird people who doesn't see, and I know people hate that Trump was horribly divisive for America, but the world was safer. Uh, you know, Joe Biden might be better for uniting America, but the whole world is, is unsafe. You yeah. know, China, you know, people going to Taiwan now, you know. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, every day I'm on a nuclear alert, Russia's, Russian ships in the sea around Ireland. None of that was happening during Trump because... He was such an egotist that the whole world revolved around him. And basically everybody was so obsessed that they didn't bother starting any wars anywhere. It was great. It's mad though, isn't it? Like, like, hey, Cullivan said, like, bring back Trump. Well, I know. <laughs> I'm messing, I'm messing. I don't think it's going to happen. Everyone's talking about it, people. Believe me. Believe me. We're all talking about it. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think, um, I mean, if he swore to not go on Twitter, things might work out a lot better for him. This oh, endless okay. fighting on Twitter was was the point. That was what brought him down. Yeah, you know, and actually, just ignore CNN and just ignore people and just kind of don't get involved in the fight. And then just you know, I thought the it. mimicking of uh, the the journalist with a disability was a was a new law. Like, and I, and when after he did that, and there wasn't there wasn't much called for him to resign. Or I was thinking, is this just ableism? Is this just... But, but it's the man who who said, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. It's the man who, you know, gr- yeah, gr- yeah. Gr- grabbed them by the, you know what? Yeah, I know, like, I know. Listen, no, let, let, there's a lot of unacceptable behavior, but what I'm saying is that it's strange to think that when you have some kind of, what would it call, non-interventionist uh, America first Egypt there, mm. Uh, it's still safer than a professional politician who wants to mess with China and Russia. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I get you. You're right. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's just for like for me. And I'm I'm half American myself. You know, I'm I'm an American citizen. So it's like I I I very much have an interest. I mean, I I, I had a wonderful uncle. He died l- lately, uh, but he said, you know, years ago he said to me, "Oh, Joe Biden. The only time he opens his mouth is to put the other foot in." <laughs> no. And and it's it and you know and this is how people talk in America like it's very yeah. my dad my dad calls it common abuse like the, <laughs> because there's no libel laws in America you can just get involved in common abuse and say whatever the hell you like about anybody you know yeah, and I kind of yeah. and I kind of like that there's, there's kind of a freedom of speech element to that and I think you know despite everything I, I don't think you ban people like Trump off Twitter and I don't think you ban speech no matter no matter how awful because. If you ban the speech you don't like, then you can start banning all kinds of speech. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, On the outside looking in, though, they'll never have a, a a good candidate for a presidency, will they? They haven't in my lifetime anyway. Bill Clinton was wonderful, bar his obvious weakness. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and then, actually, in 1998, he got rid of the Glass-Steagall Act, which, which allowed the banks to take their gloves off and gave us the credit bubble that destroyed the world in 2008. Yeah. So... Unfortunately, he failed miserably. Um, Obama was great PR, but nothing changed under him either. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, probably Jimmy Carter was the best, but he just was at the worst possible time. Massive yeah. recession, the Iranian conflict. Uh, it, it's hard. I mean, I think DeSantis will run from Florida. I think he will mm-hmm. run, and I think he will definitely, um, he'll definitely win. Unless Michelle Obama goes up against him. What about AOC? Is it too soon for her? Oh, God. Oh, God. Well, definitely way too soon. Yeah. She's very polarised She's far too, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, is that to her, obviously that is to her detriment, but I mean, she's polarising, but good. 
in what I've seen anyway. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, lads, I'm not. I, I'm afraid she's part of that, what I would call that the litany. You would have to you'd have to agree with absolutely everything that she says, you know, be very much democratic blue leftist stuff. I have a lot of issues with the climate debate myself. So, so you know, um, I, I'd be one of those people who is not a climate skeptic, but uh, I obviously realize the climate is changing. I don't know if it's fully human interaction. I obviously hate pollution and I hate all of that, but I really want solutions. I mean, I walked down Grange Gorman the other day there and there's another massive entire street turned into bike lanes. You know, yeah. I have a problem with the bicycle being lauded as this kind of savior of um, the environment. Mm. And then cow, cow's breaths, you know, cows have been here for millions of years and all of a sudden their breath is warming the, the planet up. You know, no, it's the data centers and the hundred massive companies causing 70% of the heat and the pollution. They're the ones causing it. Leave the cows out of it, lads. Um, and there's a lot of solutions. A guy called Alan Savory, he's, instead of culling the herd, he started grazing cattle um, around the edges of deserts and reversing desertification. Within a year, those areas were fully green again. Desert had turned back into green pasture, okay, because of nomadic grazing of cows. So there are solutions, huge solutions to all our environmental problems, mainly growing foliage and trees, although the carbon in the air has meant that the, the world is greening a lot now as well. But this idea that it's all going to be taxes and windmills and carbon taxes and all the rest, um, I, I don't believe in that. I just think it's another, it's another um, ruse. It's another thing, like telling us we can't drive diesel cars after, after 2030 when they all told us, to, the Greens told us to buy diesel cars back in the day. Well, I, I, I don't uh, believe in the so-called solutions. I, I get very annoyed in the morning. Uh, when I'm working away and I have to tell you on the background mm. and there's a detergent ad sponsoring Ireland AM saying please lower your temperature down for, for a better climate like like me and my family at home changing the the, the, the washing machine to a, to a four instead of a five I mean yeah of course if society all does it together there might be a little change but when you have all these uh, juggernaut companies that are 70-80% of the cause of the, the, mm. the pollution I mean or data centers. Like, do we really need to keep Vogue's Instagram? You know, do we really need to keep that forever stored at high temperatures using most of the national grid? I don't think we do. I think we but should it's all be the people that the, It's the people that are being affected again. It's the, it's the working people that are going to be, like you said, taxed to bits. We were told yeah. years ago to buy diesel cars. Now we're told replace your diesel cars with bicycle. I find some of the Green Party stuff as a wheelchair user, I find it very ableist as well in their solutions yeah. because people with disabilities are often left behind in their solutions. Yeah, well, it's a new scam. I mean, for instance, I could turn around to you and say, um, let's say your wheelchair is environmentally friendly, you know, even though it's made of metal and rubber and, and various other things like that. Um uh, so we now need lanes for you on the road, right? As well as the footpath. Skateboards are also environmentally friendly. So we're now going to have to add a skateboard lane in with the bicycle lane. And now we're going to have tricycles, unicycles, um, jetpacks. I have no idea. All I'm saying is the choice to, drive, to cycle a bike is a personal choice. And I'm told that once we have electric cars, then everything will be fine. So why do we need cycle lanes then? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Everyone get into an electric car. So I, I just I just find it a strange thing that we have to kind of all bow down to this one thing. Do you know what I mean? Now we have loads of friends who are militant cyclists, militant. You know, they're worse than they're were, I don't know, they're worse than the blue shirts. But um, do you antagonize them? Of course, yeah, <laughs> regularly. But uh, no, but I mean I know bikes are great, but it's a personal choice. Get a Peloton. I don't know. Just get off the road. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's where um, I get right wing guys. That's my old, that's my right wing stuff, you know. That's uh, all right. We're, look, we're covered on all bases. Um, did, did, we'll move, I want to move on to talk to you about music a little bit as well, um, Paddy. But before we do, the, the Michael Collins show, so that's touring and the Wolftown show comes in November. But at the moment, you're going around with the Michael Collins show. You have a couple of dates coming up in Dublin this month as well, don't you? Yeah, no, it's brilliant. I mean, I did a huge tour starting in March and it ended in 20th of May and then it took a bit of break for the summer. But his anniversary, Collins' anniversary, is 22nd of August so I'm in Bandon in Cork on the 21st which is kind of dangerous I could get shot myself uh, the Corks are very Corks are very um, protective of Michael Collins but I hope I'm, I'm bringing them a new story um, 
Then I'm back in Dublin, 22nd and 23rd of August in a place called the Pierce Centre, which is this amazing theatre uh, behind Patrick Pierce's house. Yeah, mm. I did a, I did an acting course in it before. Did you? Yeah. It's great. It's a great theatre. So it's about a 70 theatre, so I have two nights going there. Then I'm in Lenehan's weirdly doing a comedy gig for John Moynes uh, on the 24th, which is a Wednesday, which is, I don't know what I'm even going to do. I have, he wants me to do half an hour of comedy, so I'll probably have to do songs like from... Um, from our first couple of albums, one of our biggest <laughs> hits was Boy Bands Are Cunts, um, uh, which was, you know, you know, Louis Walsh took me to task on that. He said, you know, really? he did. He said, you know, it's not really fair, but, you know, they've sold 45 million albums. And I said, yeah, Hitler killed 45 million people. It doesn't make it right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, <laughs> only kidding. <laughs> But no, and I have other songs. I have songs about students, how, how lazy they are. And it doesn't really work for now because students have to work hard and, you know, uh, sleep on their parents' couches. And then um, there'll be other songs going on there. Yeah, and in fact, the whole tour is going. So look at paddycullivan.com just for tickets. Anywhere that, and I'd love to see you guys at the Collins show on the 22nd or 23rd because that's the anniversary. Cause, so it's going to be kind of weird. It's exactly 100 years since. 100 the, years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you've been touring that February right up until September. Oh yeah, I'm going. It'll keep going, and then when I bring the Murder Wolf tone out as well, I've I sold out London. I sold out Newcastle. It, it's going brilliant. I mean, people are fascinated by the story, you know. Um, mm. And it's just, it, it's one of those shows. I thought it would only work in the year that it's in, but actually, it's more like the Tom Crane show. It's going to run and run. It's because it's a kind of a, a story for our ages. It's a bit like JFK. You know, you could just talk about the JFK assassination in 1920 or 2023. You know, but no, yeah. we talk about it every single day. You do, and there's and there's always somebody looking for Ikeno to come back, which tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, I'm amazed it didn't actually this year be the 20th anniversary. Ikeno is another one. I loved Ikeno. My friend Paul Woodfull was involved in writing that, and mm. um, you know, I, I've I did a lot of satire with him, Oliver Callum, people like that, and then before that was the kind of music, the, the Camembert Quartet itself. We released two albums in 2002, 2004. Music is War. And that's where he had all those crazy songs. Uh, we were kind of like the Frank Zappas of Ireland, trying to mix comedy and music. Weirdly, it was just that before its time. Tim Minchin came out a few years later and, you know, everybody was into it. Yeah. At the time, I don't think people understood us that well. You know what I mean? They thought it was way too tongue-in-cheek because I was slagging off the Irish singer-songwriter scene at the time too. I, I would make up these kind of composite singer-songwriters like Davy and Grace, you know, because everybody was called Damien or David at the time. Yeah. Damien Rice, Damien Dempsey, David Gray, <laughs> David this, David that, David Kitt. And um, so Davian Grace was my creation. You know, and I used to sing songs like, you are my star, my shining light. You know, because that's kind of all the, the songs. Yeah. All the songs were about stars and lights. And um, your man Dermot Kennedy does a bit of that now. Ed yeah, Sheeran. he does. Yeah. Let me, and Dermot Ed Sheeran, you know, let me hold your hair back while you're puking. You know, lovely to <laughs> <image. laughs> <laughs> the, the, the band are back together so to speak uh, the band are yeah we're doing um, bizarrely we're doing a, we're reforming for to do the original material at uh, the Electric Picnic uh, on the 4th of September uh, deadly the, on the minefield site so we're going to be doing all the hits Bat the Burger is one of our great hits <laughs> Bat the Burger is a song about uh, you, know, you know we don't get drugs at the nightclub so you fail completely to get high <sighs> and then you're going to have to just eat fried food at the end of the night and uh and Battle Burgers, you know, and, and it's kind of a, an underworld piss take. And there'll be loads of other hits. Uh, I did another hit during COVID called COVID Loves to Party. It was a techno song. And it was, <laughs> it was just your man uh, from Fianna Fáil going, COVID loves to party. COVID <laughs> loves to party. I remember it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I throw, throw a bit of that in there as well. Uh, there's other songs like Sit on My Facebook. Was that Derek Cleary that did that in RTA? Derek Leary, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that, well, I remember you did that. That was brilliant. I, I took all of it. Yeah, I took all. I just sampled it and then just made a techno track out of it. And <laughs> you're watching that as it happened. You're kind of saying this has to be you somewhere. Got to be a song. It's got to be a song. So I did it. I, I did it a few gigs, but no, the band, the band are back. And like we're getting lots of corporate gigs and stuff like that as well. But uh, um, I'm kind of fitting the Michael Collins shows midweek around the band shows, and I'm trying to, you know, I, I was, I was, um. How would I, I was bankrupted by Fianna Fáil in 2008 mm. and then I was bankrupted by Fine Gael in 2020 with COVID. Um, so I'm hoping to be bankrupted by Sinn Féin sometime in the late <laughs> 2020s. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm voting for them anyway because I'm not voting for the other two who bankrupted me. 
Yeah, yeah. And listen, completing a hat trick is always a good thing. So I mean, you have to. I don't think Sinn Fein will bankrupt me. Actually, I'm a really, I'm a really, I'm a fan of the team. I think um, they're very good people. They're owner Bryn. You know, he writes a book mm. a year about the subject he's talking about: public building yeah. and housing and stuff like that. You know, and then I, I said, "This is a guy's actually written the book about it." And some cantankerous show gets back and goes, "It's easy to write a book." I said, "Great, do it then. Yeah, do it. Go on. He's done it already. You know." I, I want the housing minister to have known what housing is and, and yeah, to have yeah. researched the history of it and yeah. not just go and not just say, oh, yeah, we're, oh, we're shovel ready. Should we have these lovely houses for first time buyers for 450,000 euros in, in Anger? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, actually, yeah. we're actually inventing new towns. Lovely five bedroom homes. That's what just a yeah. young couple need to get up and yeah. running, isn't it? Yeah, yeah in the Knoll. There's so many things like Owner Brian's books. I mean, it, the the amount of legal clearance they would have re- needed to get before publication is like is crazy. So I mean, I was I think I believe Daryl Brian or Daryl Brian tried to release a book as well about housing, but couldn't get legal clearance because no, some of the also, stuff weren't accurate. But also, like crayon isn't the right thing to be writing. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, sorry, that's me. But uh, no, no. I mean, to be fair to Owen, Owen was very fair. He, you know, he was fair to Finna Fall and Finna Gale. He was saying they did build houses. Like even in the five years of Finna Gale, the worst years ever, seventy three to seventy seven, he said they built some like a hundred thousand houses. Mm. You know, which is huge. And you know, fair enough. And and kind of like so, he was he was very fair even to his enemies. And weirdly, even Pascal reviewed the book in the Irish Times and said it's excellent. So. I just think these people are ready to lead and the, the other guys just need a break. I mean, Jesus, they've been running place into the ground for a hundred years. And like if any football team that was run by the same management for a hundred years would go, lads, we need to try something new for at least mm. a decade, you know? And I, I think, I think Mary Lou's a great leader. I think she made an incredible speech in Australia there. I was brilliant. Um, it was amazing. And talking directly to immigrants and telling them, you know, to feel free to come back, you know, um, yeah. just don't come back now when you can't buy a house and exactly, you have to yeah. the parents' couch in their late 40s yeah exactly so, yeah. The, the housing any, anytime we talk about housing I always feel the need just to give our friend Kieran Mulqueen a little plug uh, crazy yeah. house prices his, his social media is absolutely what he does and the, yeah. like he's he's a teacher and he does this as kind of a side gig but my god what a job he's doing of it um, he's right yeah and I mean I'm you know I'm uh, I'm looking at those prices myself at the moment. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Houses, oh, that crazy. Built, crazy. houses that were built by the corporation going for half a million quid. Not that they were badly built, but just you know, you know, the, the, yeah, even the bricks, the bricks alone aren't worth the price. You know, but it's oh. it's a broken society if a single person who's working can't buy the house. Yeah. Hmm. Oh no, that, so that, that job could be a cleaner. That job could be a window cleaner, fucking hmm. IT, whatever. I mean, everyone who's working should be able to have access to webs. Uh, yeah, it's that you can't you can't even afford rent these days. But look, no. that's that's sure, all. That's, you know. sure, that's why I would I would like Michael Collins even wrote and he wrote a big thing poster saying what he wanted to do with doll bonds. He says abolish the slums. You yeah. know, everybody should have a house. Um, I I would have the right to a house in the constitution. I would actually yeah. say, and if it's not there, you got to build it. The, the yeah. Irish are madly in love with private property and and all of this stuff and. We have to let that go. The reason that they want us to be more European and not own houses, but the Irish like owning houses. Mm. You know, we weren't allowed to own anything for a thousand years. You yeah. know, that's why that's why I forgive people for the Celtic Tiger. Once cheap credit came along or free credit, you know, and, and people like these snotty guys who come into Lily's where I was playing the piano and go, ah, sure, people took the risk, you know, they did, you know, uh, you know, you, you take your page your money, you take your chance. And I kind of go, well, no, for the first time in history, the banks were offering a mortgage. Yeah. And people like me, musicians, could do it. Like a musician would never be offered a mortgage now. Absolutely. And I've said many times on this show that I worked in um, motor finance during the crash mm. and I would be given new business applications to underwriters and the, the, the applicant, 18 to 24, working tradesmen, whatever, could be asking for a loan of about €8,000. And the mm. underwriter would come back to me and say, tell him I've, I've approved 15. I'm kind of going... But he's only asked for eight. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's the whole thing went mad. It absolutely went mad. But that's uh, it's a conversation another day. Paddy, unconscious, we, we need to let you go. But before we do, uh, just uh, a lot of people, a lot of people will know uh, you and the band, the kind of air quartet from Days Day on the Late Late Show. Surely, yeah. surely there's a couple of, of good stories 
from yeah. some of the guests down the year? Because you would have played with a who's who over the years doing the backing tracks for them, would you? I was What's your favourite memory, yeah? Well, I mean, I loved when Russell Crowe got up on stage with us and sang Fulsome Prison Blues, you know? Yeah. And at that point, they put us up on a stupid balcony. We used to be down on the floor. Yeah. And for some reason, you know, they wanted us up at the balcony in kind of the old way. And he was meant to play it downstairs. He just says, no, I'll, I'll, I'll sing with a bin. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be beside the bin. So he went upstairs and he was grumpy. He was deliberately grumpy with them. So hey, if you're going to clip, clip in time, you know, <laughs> of course, that's the problem with the late, late crowd. You know, they're lovely people and the Irish in general, but the, their favorite song is Sweet Caroline, which they clap on the one and three. Sweet Caroline, you know, taking all the rhythm out of it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Desperate stuff. But uh, that was great fun. And then we, you know, we'd, we'd you know, we'd, we'd be up drinking till six in the morning with John C. Riley and people like that down in the. Unreal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People like, yeah. Billy Ocean. You know, oh, I love it. Just, just great crack. And even hanging out with people like, you know, um, uh, just fantastic singers, you know, like Emmylou Harris and people like that. And j- just getting to meet all these people was fantastic. Um, and But I, after 10 years, I just said, I have to just get going with my history stuff because it's bizarrely, even though it was one Friday a, a week, it would be a long, long day, but about 15 hours. And then yeah. you'd have your gigs at the weekend and you'd be just wrecked. You'd just be wrecked with it, you know. Taste toll, um, yeah. Yeah, and it was just, it was just, just time to move on. But I met Ryan there. We just had the, we just had the greatest laugh at. Um, we went to see the brilliant Fran King. He was doing McCartney's 80th birthday, mm. and uh, I bumped into Ryan there. We just, we just, we're just laughing like old times. You know, he's a very funny guy, Ryan. You know what I mean? Um, I, I mean, I'd love, I'd love the late late to be about an hour shorter. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's a, I think it's, it needs to kind of. And, but you know what I do as well? I, I would go back to the old thing of let let the guests stay on for the whole thing, a bit like what yes, absolutely, yeah. That's where real. you got some of the that's where you got some of the magic in the old days. But look, it's it's an institution, it's there, and I had a great ten years on it. Tuberty tonight now was much more fun. I will say that. Mm, but the best yeah. thing, look it up on YouTube. I, I duetted with the half. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember it. Yeah. That's where you're most familiar for me, Tuberty Tonight. Obviously, as yeah. well, the Late Late Show. But first, yeah. uh, saw you was was Tuberty Tonight on a Saturday. Yeah, I uh, sang "Jump in My Car" with the half. Yeah, I, I was playing his female. I was playing his female muse. It was a bit odd, <laughs> a bit odd. <laughs> but he was he was great crack and and, and a, t- a terrible pint man as well. You know, really? Yeah, but see, he fits it on his left leg, so he's yeah. fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's so huge, like he's about ten foot tall. <laughs> Um, but he is the Hopmeister, and uh, no, look, it's good fun. It's good fun, but it, you kind of have to, you know, you can be around that all the time, and then you have to go and kind of plow your own furrow. And I think with these history shows, they've done it, and it's 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 great crack. You know what I mean? Amazing. And, and also, you're getting really mixed audiences, and you're getting just, you know, I think I suppose I want to teach as well. There's even some schools have gone, like some secondary schools have brought along kids. Yeah, so I know twelve year olds have gone to see the show, so it's all right. Brilliant. I understand your website. It was like for any schools to book me. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's, that there's, that's a great idea. Like, there's a bit of blood and gore, but it's nothing that isn't in Fortnite, lads. Yeah, <laughs> that covered all the bases. Listen, Paddy, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you, and uh, we wish you all the best and the continued success with the rest of the tour uh, and the Wolftown tour coming later this year. Just one last time for our people, if they want to check out the show or they want to check out more of what you're up to, where can they find it? Well, for Paddy Cullivan, go to paddycullivan.com and for Camembert Quartet, go to camembertquartet.com. I tried to keep it simple, lads. And at <laughs> Paddy Cullivan on Twitter. Oh, yes, definitely. Thanks so much. Please follow Paddy on Twitter for the uh, the rows he'll have with blue shirts about Michael Collins' is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Paddy, listen, thanks a million, man. All the best with it. See you thanks again. so much, Paddy. A very interesting cat, Paddy. Enjoyed that. Yeah, good crack. Um, he he seems like a man of of just talent oozing out of every orifice and every fingertip and every he, he he's musical, he's whimsical, he's funny. He can he knows his history. He's clearly quite intelligent. Yeah, yeah, and and that that part about knowing his history, I as I said in the interview, I particularly like when he puts people in their place with historical facts. You know that way, mm. and uh, he's definitely someone to follow on Twitter just for that indeed indeed I enjoyed that chat and do check him out and if you can get along to one of his shows we'd recommend it um, but yeah that's uh, that's us for this week I, I don't have the energy to do much more of an outro because Graham upset me in the intro when, <laughs> no when, when he brought up Sabine Higgins and all the nonsense going on there um, just well, just one more thing solidarity to Sabina Higgins 
Um, you can catch us on WTSPod.com. You can search WTSPod on any podcast provider, Podcast Republic, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere and everywhere you can get a podcast. He's at Danjo Murray on Twitter and, pod- and Podbask. He's at Danjo Murray on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Merrigan Mania on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Uh, until next time, clear eyes, full hearts. <laughs> Can't lose.